0: (laughs) these were not adventures this was we're here and we're broke maybe over there we can be less broke let's go over there okay you know but to other people these were adventures you know you dared and I think that was the key to it all you
1: dared welcome to digging deep true stories of big change Each episode of this podcast digs deep into one person's story of change to reveal a little bit about how and why we make big changes in our lives and what can be learned from these experiences. I'm your host, Kelly Styring, founder and principal researcher from Insight Farm, a consultancy that helps companies learn from their customers and consumers through deep conversation and connection, often told as stories like the one you'll hear on this podcast. So let's get the conversation started. Today's conversation features Robert Banfield, better known as Cowboy Bob, who leveraged his hard-earned experience as a carny operator not only to propel his business ventures far and wide, but also to marry the woman of his dreams. This story will range a bit, as happens with cowboys, starting with, in some ways, the twilight of the tale, then turning the clock back to carnival rites of passage that informed the building of a media machine. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Welcome, Cowboy Bob. How did you get that name?
0: How did I get that name? Principally, how we got to Cowboy Bob was, I'm in the Cleveland marketplace. I am doing a television gig, and uh, I have a bunch of sponsors that are sponsoring this show. One thing led to another, and I ended up becoming the executive producer of the show itself. And the host of the show started referring to the guy in the back office who wouldn't let him do this anymore, wouldn't let him do that anymore. And then it became that cowboy in the back office, right? Then it became Cowboy Bob.
1: Let me ask you a little bit about your current work. So you're the founder, president, CEO of Circle L.
0: Circle L Productions and Promotions. Circle L Productions means we put on the event. Promotions means we make sure that everybody knows the events coming on okay the advertising marketing promotions right so not only do i create the concept i build the mechanism i present it to the public i create the marketing campaign i do the advertising and i go out and build the platform that the advertising carries on whether it's radio or television so you know it was like i had my own television shows that so consequently you know i could advertise whatever i wanted to on my on my television shows i had my own radio shows i could advertise whatever i wanted on my radio shows i did the events whether they were rock concerts country music concerts card shows you know football extravaganza eight years with the pro football hall of fame in canton ohio et cetera et cetera et cetera okay i had my own little network i didn't have to pay anybody else to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. And basically that was sell tickets.
1: And would you say that that's something that you learned directly from the Carney model? Oh,
0: sure, sure. I, I, I couldn't tell you where else I would have gotten it.
1: At this point, Tracy, your wife and partner for more than 42 years is no longer living. Can you talk about that and where you are in your professional life?
0: Tracy got sick in 2010. Uh, it was a res- She had respiratory issues. She had been a, a, a asthmatic as a young child, but it kind of outgrown it. And then later on in life, there would be symptomatic problems that would come up. And eventually that was what she would pass away from uh, was respiratory failure. When Tracy got sick, I decided they, initially they said she's got six months, maybe a year. And at that particular point in time, I was just completely devastated. I was broke down. And all I could think of was, well, if she's only got a limited amount of time that, damn it, we're going to spend every minute together. So at that particular point in time, I sort of ended the reins of the company over to the kid. So where I'm at today is I'm, I'm functionally retired. Um, I have some health issues, uh, mostly mechanical, skeletal stuff. Uh, life was a cowboy's heart. Okay, you pay for it later in life. Um, but because of those limitations, I'm pretty much retired.
1: Tell me a little bit about how you and Tracy first met.
0: We worked in a restaurant together. I was a kitchen manager. She was sort of the head waitress and we didn't like each other. I thought she was snooty. I thought she was flipping for tips. In other words, she was flirting with the customers, wearing short skirts, doing the whole, you know, being pretty and giggly and all that. And she was making good tips. She was good for business but she was not the kind of girl that I was interested in, right? She was a player's girl and I was a a cowboy who was cooking for a living. She thought I was arrogant. She thought I was pig-headed. She thought I was uh, very self-absorbed and in a lot of ways, I probably was. Not long, we worked together for, I don't know, maybe six months. Then there was some change in upper management. She left. Then we would run into each other again at a third party's house. We were visiting. Consequently, one thing led to another, and she said, Hey, I live right upstairs. You want a cup of coffee? And up we went. And we calculated it out, and it was roughly 36 hours nonstop. We sat on the couch in her living room, fully clothed. There was no physical contact. There was no, we sat. And we talked and we told each other our stories and we told each other our dreams and we told each other our ambitions. But at the end of that, we would then head off together hitchhiking across America and spend the next 42 years together.
1: So. Let's talk a little bit about how you ended up working at a carnival. And forgive me, is Carney the right term? Carney's that- the
0: right term. That, okay. Absolutely. You do not want to confuse circus people. Carnies are very sensitive about that. They're carnies. It's, it is a career. It's a lifestyle. I ran away from home. Well, I was on the verge of running away from home. I knew I was leaving. I was making arrangements. I really didn't have a destination in mind, and there was no time clock. I just knew I had to get out of there before they killed me. so, and I mean that literally physically before somebody killed
1: me at what age were you?
0: the f- that first time out, I think I was eleven, maybe twelve,
1: and this was way before you met Tracy,
0: yeah, oh, yeah, years, decade before I met Tracy.
1: Talk to me a little bit about Carney life.
0: It's simple, it's straightforward. The people are. They're very cordial. They're very social amongst each other. There is a lot of interrelationships. There are often marriages between youngsters who grow up together on the carny circuit. In other words, their parents are professional carnival people. And so consequently, the kids grow up and this family and that family, and they end up you know, spending years together like any kids in any neighborhood, fall in love and get married, and then of course they inherit the business. So you sometimes you have generations under the same name. So you can, you know, you can go Claus Hampers Carnivals. Okay, well Claus Hamper lived 150 years ago, and then in my day, what I ran across most were veterans. Guys who had been through things that were so traumatic to them, they could not come back to the reality of of a polite society. And so carnivals where they could hang out, they would be left alone. They could do their gig as long as they did well. The boss paid them fine. They had food. They had everything they needed right there within the carnival family. And they could hibernate in their little trailer or their little mobile home and, you know, just not have to deal with humanity at all.
1: Did you feel the same way when you were there? Uh,
0: Early on, it was survival instinct. There were times when, yeah, that would play a role in it. It was nobody there was judging me for who I was or what my quirks were. I had a function. I did my function. I made my money. I was social. I didn't, you know, I was honest within the circle. I didn't steal that kind of cheat lie. Uh, And so consequently, yeah, it was kind of a place where, you know, nobody was hammering on me because my hair was too long or I wasn't wearing the right shoes or whatever the problems were in the social drama world. And the carnival world didn't really have all those rules. It was just they really did live on a do unto others mentality. You know, it was very simplistic, very, very level based. And one must understand that there is religion in most carnival communities that religion is older than any religion that is taught today anywhere okay so it predates christianity it predates judaism it predates it all and it is the story of the gypsies their whole philosophy of life and their ideas of you know the tarot arcana mysticism and all of that they live in that world and they don't ask the rest of the world to deal with them they stay unto themselves, they go around, they do what they do to entertain other people, and they live their lifestyle trying not to have to interact too much with common society. You don't see them hanging out at the mall. You know, they're not going to be at the church social.
1: Does Carney society have its own justice system?
0: Oh, yeah. Within. I mean, there you know there is the law, and they are well aware of the law, right? Man's government's law, but within the circle, yes, very much a tribal, a, a kind of tribal law.
1: You know, can you can you give me an example? Or-
0: if one person is accused of an offense against another person, and there are subjectively enough witnesses that can say that the party being blamed is likely guilty because they have witnessed similar behavior in other circumstances or they actually witnessed the, the offense one can be anywhere from fined to ostracized to literally thrown out of the uh, thrown out of the caravan you know told to leave blackballed and that will, you know, that will bounce around to other carnivals too. I mean, you can, you know, there is there is that point where you can have your career destroyed.
1: Does the boss make those decisions or does the community make those decisions?
0: Uh, it's kind of a conglomeration. And in a way, it's a more matriarchal society than it is a patriarchal society. Although for the point of force, force, F-O-R-C-E force and authority. There is a chieftain but the chieftain can be called up or called down at any time by the clan. So the group as a collective can say they don't have faith in that individual and that individual loses their authority. They no longer lead the band. But for business purposes there has to be a a contractual lead. Right. So there has to be that corporate entity that that individual who can sign contracts with state fair boards and things like that, insurance programs, that kind of stuff, because they do have to play by the same games everybody else does. Right.
1: And that tends to be the boss or the chieftain. Are they the same person? Yeah, it's
0: different? usually usually he's probably the, the largest shareholder in the in the venture itself. OK, so might be the great grandson, but they own most of the equipment. Okay, okay you know and the rest of them are cousins that bring along their own gigs so you got to remember a carnival is set up there are multiple elements there so much in the same. i think that's what worked for me is much in the same way that the kitchen works so you have the pantry where they make salads right you have the bakery where they do desserts you have the broiler section you have the saute section okay you have the quick line section each one presents its own activity under its own control system. But it takes the entire group to put out the meal that the customer purchases. And so, a carnival is much the same way. You have the sideshow attraction, you have the the haunted house, and then you have the games of chance on the Midway, then you have the mechanical rides, then you have the food vendors. This is all generally, these people are very often related to each other might be second cousins or whatever but it's you know it's a family thing that moves around from fair to fair to fair and they schedule these every year and the women run most of the business the women do all the bookings the women do the men do the mechanics you know the men are in charge of the heavy lifting and the mechanical stuff and they're there to support authority in other words you know and and that's the old uh, hey rube Okay, you don't pick a fight with a carney. You pick a fight with every guy on the lot. It's like a biker gang without the motorcycles.
1: Excellent. So what was your job?
0: Um, I was uh, I ran a what they call plush games uh, because I was small and I was young, but I had a big mouth. And there's nothing greater than going out to a college kid, upper high school college kid age you know that 16 to 22 kind of thing and have some little pipsqueak come out tap your size and start challenging you in front of your girlfriend and you're not man enough to put this football through that tire
1: <laughs> that's fun yeah
0: <laughs> <And, laughs> you fun. know so i was you know i was a good hustler and that's what i did i you know as what they call in the day is what they would have called a barker i was carnival barker
1: now had you left Carney life by the time you met Tracy, because you were cooking then.
0: No, actually, uh at the time I had uh, the, the county fair was in. I knew the carnival, uh, knew the new ownership. Uh I was not happy. Tracy had left uh the restaurant. I hadn't thought about her at all. And uh, but I was ticked off with the new management too, the new things they were doing to try to salvage the corporation, didn't like the policy changes. And so the carnival was headed into town. I knew who the guy was and I got a hold of him and set up to run a booth. And so me and my roommate at the time, uh, he and I uh, were working at the restaurant together, so we both turned in our nose at the same time. And we went and took over running that game joint for 14 days, because in 14 days in, those, in that time frame, in 14 days i could average in the neighborhood of 200 250 a day i was working in a restaurant where i was making uh, i think it was six and a quarter an hour i could slam half a year's income in 14 days, work working a plush booth, which is just a game, you know, they call it a plush because it's where you win the little stuffed animals, right, plush, right? right. So it doesn't right. matter what the game is, the game can be throw the hoops over the fishbowl, it can be any of a number of games, okay? Right. But it's still a plush gig, it's a plush joint, and each joint is the actual little game venue where you play that particular game, then you move on to the next joint next to it and play that little game.
1: So talk to me about how you and Tracy decided to have a carny wedding and what that is.
0: I was working at the carnival. We're working the gig. We're about nine days into this gig at the carnival. And here comes Tracy and her girlfriend down to Midway. She came looking for me.
1: How much time passed between the 36 hours together and the decision to get married? Two days. What motivated you to get married after two days?
0: Okay, see, you got to understand, in a a sense, it was a lark. We were at the fair. The carnival is shutting down. Tracy is swearing to me that she wasn't kidding, and she's serious, and she wants to come with me. And, you know, we want to see what life is going to bring from here. We have no anticipation or expectation. Just let's go see what the world has to offer together. I'll watch your back. You watch mine. Okay. And I said, out of a lark, I said, well, I said, you know, we're here on a carny lot. I said, we're on a carny lot. I said, then we should do what everybody does. Okay. We're going to head out together as a team. Let's unify the contract. So we went and saw the owner and he and I talked, and, you know, I'm collecting my pay. Then we went to see the fortune teller, who was the owner's wife. She read cards for us. Then we went from there, we went down by their command, we went down and the whole caravan gathered around and we rode the merry-go-round backwards. Now you gotta understand, this wasn't a marriage. We had never agreed that we were gonna spend forever together. We only had agreed that we would head off on an adventure together and watch each other's back. Romantically, we were still not romantically engaged here. Okay, I had not seen this girl naked First and foremost, guys like me never think that they're going to get a girl like that. It changes everything in your life. You know, for one, you know, it takes you a little bit, but you gain confidence. You start going, hey, look at me, man. I, you know, I, I, every other guy in town wanted this girl. And every other guy in town was better situated to give her what she wanted in life. And she picks me.
1: Explain to me why the carousel goes backwards.
0: Well, because everybody rides it forwards going clockwise. But this is a very special commitment. This is two people who are saying, I am turning my life, my soul over to you for protection and you're doing the same to me. Okay. And so to do that, they ride together hand in hand and the carousel goes backwards, counterclockwise, and it makes three revolutions. And at the end of the three revolutions, it stops, you step off, and it's like you just walked out of the church and everybody hollers and hoops and carries on, and then there's a great big party. Basically, it's an excuse to have a great big party. Every night is a party, but a really big party, you need an excuse. If the two parties have decided that they no longer want to be in each other's company, that they want to break the bond that was made to do so and have it be recognized throughout all of the carnival families, Okay. I mean, and it gets around fast, right? So, there's a thousand carnivals out there running around the continent of the United States. You'd be surprised how fast the word gets spread around if you get blackballed or whatever, right? So, consequently, you go back to the same congregation. So, you go back to that specific carnival group where those were the witnesses that saw you make the commitment in the first place. And either he or she can now get on the merry-go-round and ride it around alone demonstrating that they are no longer with this other individual, and they are now free to enter into other relationships.
1: Is that also an excuse for a party?
0: Generally not. <laughs> it might be excuse for a couple of guys to sit in a trailer and get really bombed, but it wouldn't be a social event for the group.
1: How did your overall experience with Carney life inform the rest of your life?
0: That's, a, that's kind of a, a, a pronged fork kind of scenario, right? So on one, it demonstrated for me a sense of courage and self-confidence. I could. I knew I could, even at an early age, and I had evidence to prove it. It was cash in my pocket and acceptance by this group of adults who accepted me and treated me like one of them. The other part of that was that I also would get an education in the world of the gypsies and the tarot and all of that, which had a very heavy influence throughout my life, still does. I've been a professional fortune teller. I'm also Robert St. Cloud. OK, so in certain circles, I'm a fairly well-known and, and renowned uh, intuitive reader. That part played a role in it. I would end up taking what I gained from the Carney world business wise and I would turn that into virtually every enterprise I ever had f- afterwards. I was good at what I did, but it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was never more than a cook. Okay, I was never trying to be Wolfgang Puck. Okay, I was just trying to put out a solid meal that you, the diner, could enjoy and would come back for again. And if you were satisfied, then my day was made. Okay, so when I got in the entertainment business, I used the same approach. I, no education, I didn't know any better. I was simply making the mechanics work to get the end product, and that had a life of its own. That you know, when I did realize that, of course, I jumped on it to make money, you know, but I never did like the prestige. I, you know, I, I prefer to be behind the camera, not on the camera, right? I'd rather be directing. Because I can see all the mechanics in front of me Mm -hmm. and I'm like going, okay, I know exactly what has to happen now in order to hook the mark. Okay. Because it still goes back to the carny, right? How do I get you to come play my game? Even when you're losing, I get you to keep playing, keep convincing you that you could win next time. Okay. So if I can do that at 14 years old and I'm 45 years old and I'm in the media television business. Okay. Along with concerts and entertainment this kind of thing. I'm looking at all this and I'm going, yeah, man, I know exactly how to build these things so as to keep drawing the audiences. And if I'm drawing the audiences, then I got no problem. Hey, I was on a little tiny privately owned non-network affiliated television station outside of the Cleveland ADI for the better part of a decade. And my shows were sponsored by AT&T, Sears, uh, Budweiser, Uh, Hertz rent a car and I'm not talking to local business now I'm talking to national accounts the kind you have to go through Madison Avenue to get to.
1: So when you say uh, in the carny life you learned how to draw people in are you then applying that to drawing in your advertisers or drawing in your audience? Sure
0: I know what my advertiser wants okay I, I mean you know that's quite straight out we know what the advertiser wants so now you have to convince the advertiser that you've got the platform that will get them what they want. Right? So you, you know, you simply create an environment that is generous to the advertiser. And then you don't take the advertiser for more than the advertiser is willing to lose. Just like the carnival. Never play the, you know, never play the mark for more than the mark can afford. That's why it's three balls for a quarter. I'll tell you what, here's three more balls. Try it free. You're on a house. Oh, that was really close. I'll tell you what, 15 cents. I'll give you three balls for 15 cents. All right, here you go. Try to get it again. Come on, you could, t- don't make me get out here and win a stuffed animal for your girlfriend. It's going to make you look really bad, man. $2.50 <laughs> later, right? I finally give her a Cupid doll and say, hey, you know, maybe you need a new boyfriend.
1: Are there any other business principles that you learned in Carney life that you used um, in your businesses?
0: That would be very heavily uh, colored by the biographies and autobiography of P.T. Barnum. Brilliant man in his own time. He, he really was. He, he, he saw enterprise in a way that other giant corporations had yet to figure out. And so a lot of what is in the carny world or the circus world would be a lot of that kind of philosophy. People want something. And if you provide what they want, They're willing to give you a reasonable amount of money in return for getting what they wanted if they can have it without hassles. Simple. Give the common man that which he seeks and desires, and in due course and gentle resolve, he will accept whatever it is you wish to bestow upon him. I wrote that. But if you think about it, it's true. It plays true in in virtually every enterprise activity out there. Doesn't
1: matter. So in addition to the business um, knowledge that you gained through this Carney experience, were there moral um, learnings as well or teachings or principles that you That's the forward?
0: cowboy. That's the cowboy. And, and I will tell you that where uh, much of that came from an era when I was growing up, which would have been the latter half of the 50s. Okay? So in that time frame, as I was getting those early impressions in childhood of the way the world works, I was fascinated by TV Westerns. And then, my family packed up from Canton, Ohio, and they decided to move to Scottsdale, Arizona. And in those days, Scottsdale, Arizona was still the westmost western town. Old boys, they were still hitching posts out in front of every business downtown on the main drag. Guys still rode their horses in. I kind of grew up with that, and I sort of adopted those basic cowboy principles. You know, that John Wayne kind of, you did all right thing for the right reason, Pilgrim. You know, and to me that made sense.
1: Those principles fit more with yeah, the cowboy Yeah, they, they made persona. sense, right? Okay. Right. And then the and then some of the business acumen is a combination of maybe. Well and what, yeah, what and you, you put the two
0: together. You don't yeah. cheat a man on a horse deal. <laughs> right. You don't, you know, you don't you do know, you don't try to pass off a, a cow for a bull. You know, there's, you know, you don't graze your animals on another man's land, right? So don't do things. that are going to tick people off. And then they won't come wanting to bust you over the head.
1: Do you think going by the name Cowboy Bob implies these characteristics?
0: In some circles, yes. In other circles, they don't get it.
1: Does it matter they to you? They wouldn't
0: get it if I explained it to them. No, <laughs> no do it wor- does not. Isn't that the key to it all? No, it does not matter to me.
1: So let's talk about what's next. I understand you have a book in process.
0: Well, look, Tracy passed in 2018. Through the years, we would go off on our little soul turns and, and, and adventures through time, and we would come back from Ohio to Colorado to Arizona. We kind of followed a circle, and uh, we would show up, and of course we find old friends and acquaintances and then they'd all tell us all about it and we'd tell them the stories and they would say you know you guys should write a book you've had such adventures well to us it was just surviving (laughs) these were not adventures this was we're here and we're broke maybe over there we can be less broke let's go over there (laughs) okay you know but to other people these were adventures you know you dared and i think that was the key to it all you dared Right, Nobody else was, no, I got to stay right here, man. I got to maintain this job. I can't say, oh, you know, I don't like this job. I'm going to go find something else. No, no, no. I got to just take it, keep my nose to the grindstone. We didn't do that. And so, consequently, uh, people said, you should write a book. What great adventures you've had. And we never did. We laughed about it from time to time, but we never really got into it. Neither one of us had that kind of an ego, right? And so, Tracy passed in February 2018. I thought, well, I should write something, right? Write some kind of a eulogy or something, right? Because there was no funeral. She was cremated. A tribute to Tracy. I ended up with what you would find to be, I think it's chapter 14. And I'm like going, uh, wow, this is way too much. I can't, but there's nothing here I want to extract. This is who Tracy was. Uh, and, and suddenly this light went off, bang. And it was like,
1: it's that book. And so has this book been published? Is it e-published? No, no, or you, no. I, what's your you know, plan?
0: When I started this project out, it was not a commercial venture. I decided that what I was going to do was I was going to write a legacy book. So if you could take into consideration modern conscious thinking, take into consideration the idea of going to Ancestry.com and getting a compiled story of your ancestry and handing it to the next generation when they say mommy where did we come from here read this kid then as i got to writing i realized it was really big and i decided it was going to end up being a trilogy so it was going to be virtually 600 to 700 pages all told and that it would be bound as three separate volumes volume one volume two volume three so i am kind of had an offer from an outfit in upstate new york What I demand from the project is a finished book, ready to be bound, and then I would like that book to be uh, taken to a professional binder and hardcover copy be produced of the entire manuscript in three volumes so that I can present that to my son so that it can become the family heirloom. Here's the story of grandma and grandpa, and since both grandma and grandpa were orphans, there's no family tree we were Adam and Eve that was always the jokes we saw that right off the get-go
1: so you're planning to produce this as a bespoke um, heirloom for your family and you're not planning to publish it anywhere else well no
0: and then the turnaround comes back to well, but you know you can post it on uh, Amazon or whatever right and if people want to download and read it then they can pay for it and if they pay for it then you're going to make some money why not
1: do you hope ultimately it's Produced. Yeah, as e-book? but I
0: haven't finished book three. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> you better get busy, man. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I have been. I'm,
0: I'm on like page 75 of book three. I mean, one is like 224 and the other one's like 269. Right. So I'm shooting for 200 pages.
1: In closing, do you have any words of wisdom to share with our audience today?
0: How all this affected me is it really didn't click until i met her she believed in me without question without doubt without condition she believed in me and the fact that she believed in me gave me the confidence to believe in myself and from that point forward nothing i laid my hands on didn't succeed people need to start believing in themselves So the best way to turn yourself around from a situation to another situation or start life over in general is first and foremost, you got to believe in yourself, you know, and put people around you who do believe in you. And they only give you more courage and confidence to move forward. And remember, Cowboy Bob said, play nice with each other.
1: You can listen to Cowboy Bob's podcast, Return of the Thinking Man on YouTube by searching Return of the Thinking Man. I'll put a link in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today on Digging Deep, True Stories of Big Change. I'm your host, Kelly Stiring, founder and principal researcher from Insight Farm. At Insight Farm, we help companies make their products better through conversation and connection with consumers, often told as stories like the one you've heard today. If you'd like us to help you with consumer research, or if you'd like to participate in this podcast and tell your story, reach out at www.insightfarm.com. We look forward to the conversation.